Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome back to this week's episode of Rossafari Zoo News. That's right, y'all. It's yet again time for a look at all the exciting news in the world of zoos, aquariums, and conservation. On a personal note, things are going incredibly well up here at Northern Stage in Vermont. We actually had our first preview tonight as I'm recording this, and it was so great to be playing Million Dollar Quartet in front of an audience again. It was an absolute blast. And the cast totally killed it. Everyone was amazing, and it was so much fun. You know, I've been doing this show more on than off for the last seven years. <laughs> I just said more on. Whoops. Anyway, and I still love it so, 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 so much. Um, yeah, and I'm going to be touring it again soon. So uh, if you're out there and not in the Vermontal region, I think most people call it New England, but I'm feeling goofy and silly tonight. So I'm going with Vermontal region. Then uh, keep your ears here and your eyes on the Instagram, and uh, maybe maybe I'll be touring near you soon, and you can come see the show. I will tell you that Vermont is experiencing an absolutely insane heat wave right now, which is uh, not the most fun thing since we are doing the show outdoors. Um, actually, it's funny. Most of you know I just came from spending seven weeks in Sarasota, Florida, and today in Vermont was actually hotter, but all than maybe two of the days down in Florida. It also just, I don't know, feels worse because you're in Vermont, so you're not mentally prepared for it. Unlike in Florida, when you're expected to die of heat stroke every single day. But that's enough news about me. It's time for Zoo News. So a uh, quick reminder, y'all know how this works, but if you're new here... Make sure you're following along on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter at Ross Safari. And you can tag me in things like stories that you think would be cool for this. And then I'll say your name at the end of the episode. Yay. All right. You know how this works. So uh, let, let's just let's just get to it. We've got an ad. And then after that, we will get to the news. So let's start with the ad. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamers Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com slash studios. 
All right, Joe, it is time for Zoo News, and I'm going to give you a little spoiler alert. One of the zoos that I'm going to talk about in this episode is a zoo that I already have an interview booked at for some time in the next week or so. And uh, I'm really excited to bring that to you. That's right. We are continuing on with our live in person as I travel to play the drum interviews and um, things are looking good, friends. So uh, without further ado, here's that nifty song that means we're starting Zoo News. Well, it's one for the pandas, two for the bears, three for the monkeys. Now you should care. Now won't you listen to Zoo News? Oh, you could do anything, but why not listen to Zoo News? Well, it's a Zoo, 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 Zoo News. Zoo, 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 Zoo News, baby. And just a friendly reminder, that is me and my buddy Taylor Gray doing our parody of Blue Suede Shoes. Taylor is playing Jerry Lee up here at Northern Stage with me, and we do do Blue Suede Shoes in the show. Now, granted, it's not those lyrics. It's the real ones. But uh, yeah, just a friendly reminder. Okay, okay, now we're really going to get to the news, I promise. Did I mention I'm a little giddy tonight? Anyway, okay. So one of the things that I talk about a lot on this podcast is my true belief that zoos need to do a better job sharing the cool behind-the-scenes stuff that they're doing. Well, one zoo that is doing that really well right now is the Toronto Zoo. So I'm going to reward them by opening up this segment of the podcast with not one, not two, but three stories from the Toronto Zoo, all of which they shared on their own social media this week. The Toronto Zoo has partnered with Canada's first education bank and Parents Engaged to provide school supplies to Toronto students from low-income families. On August 14th, 15th, 21st, and 22nd from 8.30 a.m. to 4 p.m., you can bring backpacks, lunch bags, lined paper, pencil crayons, and other school supplies to the zoo's main entrance and drop them off where they will be collected and distributed to students from low-income families. The zoo makes a point to mention that zoo admission is not required if you are only there to drop off the supplies. What an awesome way the Toronto Zoo is giving back to its community. The Toronto Zoo is also currently undergoing an effort to improve the impact of their programs. They need some help with their research. So if you're willing, you can watch a short video about wildlife and conservation and answer a few questions about what you've learned. The survey and video combined will take about 15 minutes to complete, and at the end of the survey, you can enter to win an exclusive behind-the-scenes tour at the Toronto Zoo. If you are interested, um, the link is really, really long, so I suggest going to the Toronto Zoo's Twitter account, at the Toronto Zoo, and following the link there. The zoo is hoping that the research done here will help improve the overall effectiveness of their interpretation department. The survey and drawings are open to those 18 years of age and older, 
And considering that I am a huge advocate for trying to get zoos to improve how they educate the public, I highly recommend that you go and do this uh, video and survey because I'm sure that not only will it help the Toronto Zoo improve, but that they'll share their findings with other amazing zoos. And uh, hopefully this can be the next step in making zoos even more educational and, and uh, inspiring. The Toronto Zoo also announced that the 2021 cohort of Blanding's turtle eggs have begun hatching. Uh, so they have an adopt-a-pond team at the turtle, or I'm <laughs> at the Turtle Ronto Zoo is what I started to say. I love that so much. I'm leaving it in. Anyway, at the Toronto Zoo, and they collected 58 Blanding's turtle eggs, which were set up in artificial incubators to make sure that they would hatch successfully. The turtles are part of the Toronto Zoo's conservation program for the species, which works to restore a historic population of Blanding's turtles in the Rogue River watershed, where the species had experienced unsustainable declines due to, you guessed it, human activities. The landscape, thanks to a lot of work done by the Toronto Zoo, as well as their partners Rogue National Urban Park and Toronto and Region Conservation Authority, is doing much better and is now able to support Blanding's turtles again, as well as other animals such as great blue herons, beavers, leopard frogs, and white-tailed deer. 56 of the 58 eggs have hatched so far and are going to be given a head start at the Toronto Zoo where they will be raised in captivity for two full years before being released into the Rogue National Urban Park in 2023. And of course, the Toronto Zoo will continue to monitor the health of the turtles that they release, both for their individual health and also to see how the program as a whole is doing once the turtles are released. An incredible conservation story out of the Toronto Zoo. Or the Turtle Ronto Zoo. Call it what you will. But, and I have to say this again, for all of the zoo people that are listening to this podcast right now, you know, the post about the Blanding's turtles alone got multiple thousand likes. I have often been told, both on the record and off, that it's hard for zoos to post a lot of their conservation success stories because they're simply not charismatic species a lot of the time, and people aren't as interested in that as they are as seeing pictures of, say, oh, I don't know, red pandas. <clears throat> Guilty. But the truth is that, in fact, people do care and people do find it exciting. And I just I really think that that more zoos need to do a better job of following Toronto's example and sharing not only their adorable animals, because like y'all, we have seen the videos of Adira and Suva, the red pandas running around. Right. I mean, they're doing that, too. But by also sharing the incredible work that they're doing and research that they're doing and getting people involved. They are connecting on a deeper level with their guests, and that is going to make them care even more about not just animals, but the conservation of animals and the fact that we can all do our part and be citizen scientists and help the world, which like seriously needs some help right now. But OK, OK, uh, enough. I'm getting off the soapbox and we're moving on to a different zoo and another story. 
And speaking of zoos and conservation successes, the Fort Worth Zoo announced that recently the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department and Texas Christian University did a survey together where they found a hatchling Texas horned lizard. Now, that might not sound that crazy or exciting to you, but the Fort Worth Zoo has been doing head starts and releasing the Texas horned lizard each year for the last two years. And finding a hatchling in the wild means that at least some of the lizards that have been released have survived, including the last year when there was this crazy snowmageddon. You may have heard about that if you were watching the news or if you listened to my episode from Fossil Rim Wildlife Center. Uh, it got really crazy down in parts of Texas with a, a bad freeze and all kinds of weather that they just were not prepared for and did not expect. But at least some of the Texas horned lizards have uh, reproduced, which is amazing and means that they're doing well. This is a huge conservation success story. While there hasn't been a full survey done and we don't know how many survived or if there are other hatchlings right now, the single hatchling that was found and photographed in many ways represents an amazing hope for the future of this species in the wild. And hey, don't forget, if you'd like to learn more about this program and some of the other amazing conservation work being done at the Fort Worth Zoo, you can go back to season one and listen to my interview with Vicki Poole from that very institution. And now we turn to a water zoo, also known as an aquarium, in this case, the National Aquarium in Baltimore, Maryland. In October of 2020, the National Aquarium welcomed Kai, a juvenile green sea turtle, into their collection. Kai came from the South Carolina Aquarium, where she arrived in 2018 after suffering injuries to her shell from a boat strike. Although the shell injury healed well, uh, she had buoyancy control issues, also known amongst the sea turtle community as bubble butt because it basically means that air and gases collect uh, in the back part of the shell, and then the sea turtle isn't able to keep that down, and so it literally forms a, a bubble, and then the sea turtle's butt starts to float up into the water. Because of the bubble butt issue, Kai was deemed unreleasable, and the people at the South Carolina started looking for a new permanent home for Kai. The National Aquarium was chosen because of the extensive resources available to the staff that will allow them to continue Kai's rehabilitation and provide appropriate accommodations for the rest of her life. Now, don't go getting excited. You can't go see Kai right now. Kai is living at the Animal Care and Rescue Center, which is not the main aquarium. But there is a real chance that Kai will end up living at the aquarium if the people in charge of her health are able to find a good solution to the bubble butt problem she is experiencing. Many aquariums simply deal with this by attaching weights by using a turtle-safe epoxy and letting the turtle swim around. However, it doesn't look particularly great, and um, it also needs to be reapplied like as often as once or twice a month. So the aquarium has set out to find a more permanent solution. The aquarium is currently working on a weighted shell prosthetic that would be attached directly to Kai's shell. 
The prosthetic, created by the exhibit fabrication team of the aquarium, is designed to be safe, functional, and naturalistic, including being painted to look just like the rest of Kai's shell. The first prosthetic attempt was a minor success. Uh, It worked and stayed on for 35 days before it began to crack, and then the buoyancy issues returned. Uh, They're not entirely sure, but the team does believe that either water or air got under the prosthetic. So they removed it because it was made to be easily removed and went back to the drawing board. A second prosthetic was created and attached to the shell at the end of May. And um, so far, so good as far as not cracking. But Kai is still struggling with buoyancy issues, even with the prosthetic. This is where this one gets extra tricky because since Kai has had this problem from a very young age, the people observing right now aren't sure if she's having actual buoyancy issues despite having the prosthetic or if it is just a behavioral response because Kai has learned to swim with her butt up in the air and doesn't really know how to swim like a normal turtle. So they're currently working on trying to figure that out. The team is currently planning on working on additional prosthetics, hoping that they will help, but also working on behavioral training to make sure that Kai isn't just swimming awkwardly at this point. I cannot wait to continue to follow this story and hopefully one day see Kai take the place of Calypso, the last sea turtle that lived on exhibit at the aquarium, who was truly one of my favorite animals of all time and who I miss dearly. Southwick's zoo is excited to announce the birth of a newborn female giraffe named Dolly weighing in at 150 pounds while standing six feet tall. This is the largest giraffe ever born at the zoo, and because her mother could not produce her own milk, Dolly is currently being bottle-fed. And now I really want to see what a bottle for a six-foot, 150-pound giraffe looks like. Dolly will be behind the scenes for at least another month before being reintroduced to her mother, and then after that, uh, we'll see when she gets out in the yard. But hey, congrats to everyone at Southwick Zoo for this amazing new animal birth. And speaking of new animals, this is late-breaking news. I'm actually cutting into the already-finished episode to tell you all this. The Idaho Falls Zoo has announced that for the second time in their history, they are welcoming a pair of female red panda cubs to the zoo facility. This one is especially close to home for me because the parents are Marvin and Linda, often known as Talinda to the red panda community, who had been living at Knoxville where they grew up together. Uh, Red pandas are one of those species that even being raised together, um, if they're not related, they don't like assume that they're related and thus can still breed. A lot of species, if you raise them together as cubs, won't actually breed with each other even if there are no shared genetics. Anyway, so Marvin and Linda, or to Linda, went off to the Idaho Falls Zoo and now have had cubs. And I am so excited. And make sure that you check out today's post 
on Ross Safari because you are going to see some adorable pictures of the happy couple back when they were at Knoxville and I got to hang out with them. They are the cutest panda couple ever. They really love each other. Uh, for those of you that don't know, a lot of red pandas either stay apart from each other, some don't even live together when it's not breeding season, and even the ones that do live together oftentimes you know, it's not a very lovey-dovey relationship when it's not breeding season. But uh, Marvin and Talinda are just adorable together and love each other. And this is the best news ever. I am so excited. And hey, not to keep plugging my old episodes, but uh, if you'd like to learn more about Marvin, Talinda, and how the Red Panda SSP works in general, check out my season one episode with Sarah Glass, where we talk about these two cute pandas and so many more, and her work as the SSP coordinator for Red Pandas. And now... Conservation! Conservation! News time! Oh yeah! Earlier last week, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change released their sixth assessment of the state of things, with the last one coming back in 2019. It was not good news. Um, it seems like some climate change issues are near reversible, and much can still be done, but if it doesn't happen soon, we are in serious trouble. To give you a little background on the study, the IPCC has 195 member countries. There are thousands of people who contribute to this report, uh, sorting through over 14,000 pieces of scientific literature. Um, and it is the most comprehensive assessment of its kind on the state of climate change. The data that they found is freaky and ridiculous. Okay, so there are basically three critical greenhouse gases in the air, carbon dioxide, methane, and nitrous oxide. Carbon dioxide levels are up 47% since 1750, methane is up 156%, and nitrous oxide is up 23%. Sea levels are rising 3.7 millimeters per year from 2006 to 2018, compared to just 1.3 millimeters per year between 1901 and 1971. Each of the last four decades has been warmer than any other decade dating back to 1850, which is the first time this was ever truly measured in earnest. Human-caused surface level temperatures are up 0.8 to 1.3 degrees Celsius since 1900. Global precipitation levels have increased steadily since 1950. Glacier ice retreat is higher since 1950 than it has been at any time in the last 2,000 years. Oceans are warming faster than they have since 11,000 years ago. Ocean warming accounts for 91% of the heating overall in our climate system, with land warming accounting for 5% and ice loss 3%. Extreme heat waves are happening five times more often today than in 1850. In the hottest day of July of this year, enough polar ice melted to cover all of Florida with two inches of water, and the Arctic is now warming at three times the rate of the global temperature increase, which it was only increasing at two times that just a couple of years ago, which basically is proof that the polar ice caps melting, uh, it's not going to switch. We might be able to slow it down maybe even stop it, but we're not going to be able to reverse the damage we have already done to the polar ice caps. That ship has sailed. 
The report is huge and goes into a ton of details, and if you're interested in this, I highly recommend looking it up and uh, getting more details for yourself. But y'all, climate change is a real problem. Many, many, many of the conservation issues that we face today are because of global climate change. This is real. And, you know, I've mentioned it on here before, but I keep seeing these memes popping up saying, if we're not going to stop corporations from doing all the stuff that they're doing to the climate, and if people can go into space, private citizens who are rich, and and do all that damage to the environment that that caused, then why should I worry about using recyclable bags? Um, first of all, I, d- I don't know why I decided that was my meme voice. But uh, second of all, the truth is what this report says is that um, – It all matters at this point. We have so irreversibly screwed up the climate, and we are in such desperate need of an overhaul of how we do everything right now that it takes corporate responsibility and personal responsibility and just so much more. We need to come together as a people to, I mean, not to save this planet. The planet's going to go on spinning but to stop it from becoming a hellhole for humans and animals alike. It's it's a real problem. I, I love to make little jokes and have fun on this podcast, but at the same time, I need to say this report is scary, and we all need to have our eyes opened and do everything we can to stop abusing this planet. Because, you know, one of the crazy things about this planet, and yes, I'm transitioning to my next story here, is that there's still so much that we don't know. Uh, just... This week, a photograph was released of a beautiful new jelly that was photographed under the sea. 2,300 feet under the sea, to be exact. It's a red jellyfish and is absolutely stunning. It's disc-shaped and it's, it's really cool. And on a side note, I did some research because I've often been told that the proper term is jelly and not jellyfish because they're not fish. Um, but the terms are used interchangeably in scientific literature and papers. Uh, so I used each one once because, hey, why not? On a side note, did you know that a group of jellies is called a smack? Now you do. Some really cool work is being done to try to save northern white rhinos, which are functionally extinct as there are only two remaining in the world, Fatu and her mother, Najin. Scientists are actually working to create embryos of the subspecies, and they have recently successfully created three more, bringing their total to 12 embryos. The eggs were taken from Fatu, and the sperm comes from two different deceased males. Neither Fatu nor Najin is capable of carrying a calf to term, so surrogate mothers for the embryos will be selected from a population of southern white rhinos. The hope is that the genetic similarities between northern and southern white rhinos will be good enough to make the southern white rhinos able to carry northern white rhino embryos all the way through the pregnancy to birth. As there are currently over 20,000 southern white rhinos still in the world, uh, it's not a huge risk to the population to uh, try doing this with a couple of the females of the species. Obviously, there are a lot of things that could go wrong, but this project represents the last hope for the northern white rhino species, and I really, really hope it works. Have you ever heard of the term rewilding? 
The idea behind it is that if we would all just let our grasses grow, our yards get wilder again, if we would stop worrying about pristine, pretty conditions and instead let nature come a little bit closer to our homes, the world would be in much better shape. As a matter of fact, the UN has stated that the world needs to rewild and restore an area the size of China to meet commitments on nature and the climate. And, um... A lot of people don't like this idea. They like their manicured lawns. They, they like being able to uh, have things look pretty and neat in the way that they want to. However, one private citizen in Ireland is rewilding their estate, and it is amazing to see the effect. Randall Plunkett is the 21st Baron of Dunsany. Over the last seven years, Plunkett has decided to rewild his estate and uh, it is going incredibly, incredibly well. However, a lot of people don't love the idea. Some people consider it a disgraceful neglect of an estate associated with agricultural innovation. To quote Plunkett, They just thought I was a complete waster. Decadent, a fool. One farmer said I should be ashamed of myself for destroying the farm. However, when nature is allowed to take over and do its thing... It really does. Before, the estate had just three types of grass. Now it has 23, none of which were planted by Plunkett. I didn't do it. The birds did, he said. Multiple species of trees started to regrow in the area. I see a lot of saplings growing that I haven't planted, he says. It's really amazing, and the new vegetation attracts butterflies and other insects, which then attract more birds including rarely seen woodpeckers, barn owls, red kites, and sparrowhawks. As far as land animals, there have also been sightings of snipe, stoats, and red squirrels, which, uh, as you may remember from last week, are a species fighting for their lives in this part of the world. The transformation is so incredible that botanists from Trinity College Dublin have started visiting in order to study the transformation, and they are incredibly impressed. Plunkett also decided to block poachers and horse-mounted hunters. I decided to go to war. I've been threatened to my face and on social media with being beaten up, having my tires slashed, you name it, he said. He has patrolled the estate's forests and meadows, confronted interlopers, filmed them, summoned police, and threatened legal action. I love it. Hopefully, this story inspires you to consider rewilding even just a little part of your own earth if you have some. Even just taking the back corner of where you live in your yard and letting the grasses grow and letting things get just a little wilder can make a huge impact to the local flora and fauna in your area. And also, I really wanted to do a really bad accent on this episode, and the story provided me that opportunity. But that's not why I did it. It's just a bonus reason. Ugh, I promise that's the real reason. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. But hey, this podcast thrives on bad accents. And finally this week in the conservation news area, eight herds of elephants, counting a hundred total heads, are currently wandering through London. Well, okay, wandering is a Strong word, they're standing still, because they are statues. Elephant Family and the Real Elephant Collective have partnered to launch Coexistence, an environmental art installation of 100 life-sized elephant sculptures that are making their way across the globe, currently stationed in London. Indigenous communities in India handcrafted the 100 statues, and then they moved to London in early May. 
They are, as I mentioned, eight separate herds that are on public display distributed throughout the Royal Parks and Berkeley Square areas of London. The aim of the exhibition is to highlight the effects of human invasion and appropriation of wild spaces. While the sculptures are definitely meant to be admired, they also carry a conservation message, and the hope is that it will encourage coexistence with wildlife. I guess that explains the name, coexistence, huh? If you would like more information about this art project, you can check out elephant-family.org. In other so this next story is mainly for my Australian listeners, also known as my Aussie listeners, but I thought it was just kind of cool for everyone to hear about the government of a country actually, you know, doing something to, like, encourage conservation. The Threatened Species Commissioner, because Australia has one of those, which is awesome, is hosting the Threatened Species Bake Off of 2021. To mark Threatened Species Day on September 7th, Aussies are encouraged to bake a dessert in the shape of a threatened species and share it with the commissioner on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram using the hashtag TSBakeOff. The theme for this year will focus on ecosystem engineers. Ecosystem engineers have an important role to play in Australia's unique environments and include any species that modifies, improves, or creates habitat. So, not only is this a baking contest, that raises awareness about endangered species. But the commissioner is actually encouraging people to do research on what an ecosystem engineer is before they can pick what animal they want to bake into a cake. No, no. Cake they want to bake into an animal shape. Yes, yes. V very big difference there in how you phrase that. Check out this last line in the post. I'm encouraging you to do some digging on your own and celebrate our diverse range of remarkable threatened species, particularly Australia's lesser-known threatened ecosystem engineers. You might be surprised at what you discover, and your research may just inspire your hashtag TSBakeOff creation. <laughs> Seriously, this podcast thrives on bad accents. But how cool is that? Man, I, I wish that we could see more stuff like that in the States and other countries. And hey... If you're an Aussie listener, and I know I've got many, don't be such a bloody galah. Go ahead and uh, bake your cake and submit and try to win. Good luck to you all. All right, and here are your animal holidays for the week. Of course, remember, it is National Catfish Month. Not the uh, MTV show or the people that do that in real life, but like, you know, the animal. August 14th is World Lizard Day. August 15th is the Day of the Cotton Top Tamarin. August 17th, which is Tuesday, is Black Cat Appreciation Day. And Thursday is not only World Humanitarian Day, but World Orangutan Day. Remember, it's not World Orangutan Day, it's World Orangutan Day. I actually recommend celebrating World Orangutan Day by dropping G's from the end of all of your words. It will encourage people to stop saying orangutan and start saying orangutan. Because educating people isn't working, so maybe nothing else will. Hehe. <laughs> 
All right, y'all, we have done it again. Another week of Zoo News is in the books. I am thankful to all of you for listening and especially thankful to the following people who contributed stories to this episode. Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross, Dr. Natalie Taco, Danny Poirier-Larson, Kim Cooley, Emily Begay, Ren Howell, Peter Oilo, and Colleen Lenahan. Thank you all so much. And remember, you too can have your name mentioned in an episode of Zoo News by tagging at Ross Safari in Zoo News Stories on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or by sending them to me either in DMs or at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Also, as always, I want to say thank you to Lara Shank and PJ Bevan, my Red Panda level patrons. Don't forget that you can financially support the podcast for as little as $3 a month by going to patreon.com slash Rossafari. All right, friends, here they are, the Steiderk Yeswen. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.